for those of you expecting to hear Lizzie and Emery on Two Nuts in a Pod, they have since gone on to other pursuits. However, their archived podcasts can be accessed by going to our website, forwardradio.org, clicking on Programs, and then scrolling down and selecting their show. The following is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speakers and not the station. If you would like to share your views, you may email us at wfmp.louisville at gmail.com. You are now tuned to Election Connection. Now what's the word? Democracy. Election Connection with me, your host, Ruth Newman, and today's show is all about candidates running in our upcoming November 8th midterm election. By now, you should know your voter registration status and where to vote. Don't be complacent. You only have until October the 11th, that's Tuesday, October the 11th, to register to vote. Many of the rules and district lines have changed, so it is incumbent on all of us to visit GoVoteKY.com to check our registration status, to register if you've changed your address, if you've changed your name, or if you will turn 18 on or before November 8th, which is the day of the general election. You must have a photo ID, and if you don't, you can get one by going to drive.ky.gov, even if you do not drive. The driver's license office will provide a photo ID. You will need to bring a social security card, a birth certificate, or proof of address. Remember, you have only until October the 11th to register to vote. Now, today's program starts off with Maureen Welch of the Louisville League of Women Voters introducing Rachel Rourke's. She is the Democratic candidate for Kentucky State Representative from District 38. Afterward, you will hear Victoria Strange and myself presenting our somewhat partisan viewpoints on Stuart Ray, the Republican, and Morgan McGarvey, the Democrat. Both candidates are running for U.S. House of Representative from the 3rd Congressional District, which is John Yarmouth's seat that he is leaving. So we begin with Maureen Welch, who moderated a candidate forum held September the 29th at the Iroquois Public Library. This is for Kentucky House of Representatives District 38, the candidates are Charles Breitenbach, he's a Republican, and Rachel Moore, who is a Democrat. 
Mr. Breitenbach has not responded. Um, therefore, we are thrilled to have Ms. Rourke here with us. We are going to allow her an opportunity to give us an opening statement. And then I'm going to ask her three questions. Then we're going to open it up for the audience so that you guys can ask some questions. I think this is this is a very important race, okay? So, um, Ms. Rourke, would you like to give your opening remarks? Thank you, Maureen. Hello, everyone. I'm Rachel Rourke. I'm running for House District 38, which is a new district, I guess you could call it, with redistricting. This is an area that covers um, basically from the Watterson down to the Gene Snyder, Dixie, back over to Southern Parkway. Um, it's the area that was formerly represented by State Representative Mackenzie Cantrell, who was drawn out of her district with redistricting. So I am happy to be running and taking up this mantle. Um, hope that I'll be your next State Representative and that you all will vote on November the 8th. But for me, I've been a lifelong South End resident. I've worked as a legislative aide for Metro Council District 21 for the past several years, serving my local community, um, UPS before that, and I'm excited to you know, represent our union workers, our teachers, and really fight for the needs of women and children and working families in the district. Okay, so the first question I have for you. Our state has experienced two catastrophic events in the last 12 months. In both situations, environmental factors contributed to the severity of these events. As a legislator, how would you propose to curb the causes of climate change in Kentucky and what priorities, such as infrastructure investment or payments for relocation costs, would you support? Okay, so big questions. Um, I think in terms of environmental factors and planning for the future, especially in the way of Kentucky's infrastructure, it's really important that we're looking ahead to what is the latest research that can tell us, you know, the biggest, most best improvements to think ahead as for when natural disasters do occur, that we are able to respond in a way um, that hopefully has the most up-to-date infrastructure um, and safety enhancements that we can have. Um, it's important for government to be on the forefront of what those safety improvements are, to know what those regulations should be, and to be prioritizing passing those regulations. Um, of course, it's also important that we're working with our public works entities across the state to make sure that those things are able to be implemented and that we have the dollars to do so. So um, something for me at a local level that I'm really passionate about is working with our local agencies and connecting them with our state departments like KYTC. That is the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet. To plan ahead for what those things can be. So that way we do have local um, improvements that do both things, that enhance our safety, but also build place um, and so thinking about what those things look like and making those planning efforts on the forefront um, is really important. Working um, with state representatives from across the state to really listen and learn what those needs are in counties that don't look like Jefferson. Making sure that we um, really understand those needs and find solutions that work for both rural counties and urban. Thank you for that response. Next question, Kentucky is consistently ranked at the bottom of lists comparing the health of our citizens. What programs and policies do you support to improve Kentuckians' health? So health is really important to me in the campaign. One of my big platforms is to make sure that we're looking at community-based waivers um, and having affordable health care for all Kentuckians, especially things that include gender-affirming care um, and access to health care for women. Um, that is you know, something that we really need a holistic viewpoint on. So um, in terms of 
healthcare for Kentuckians as a whole, there's so many different factors, um, looking at things like child abuse, looking at opioid use, and you know things that also, heart disease, diabetes, insurance access. All of these things are really big topics and um, they each deserve their own space. So for me, you know, being a new legislator, it's really important that I get to know, you know, get involved in those committees, find the people who are doing those, um, doing the work already, and look for ways that we can do harm reduction throughout the community, and also, you know, make healthcare more accessible to more people, and that they're comfortable going to the doctor. It's so important um, to really create those environments where people feel like they can seek those services, that they know about those services, and I think. A lot of people, for a lot of people, all politics is local. So the more that we can go to the grocery stores, the more that we can work with our Metro Council members, the more that we can, you know, really build a platform that focuses on anti-shame for things like substance use, I think are really important um, places to be putting our dollars. Thank you. Okay, next question. What legislation do you support to end the surge of gun deaths and violence in all communities, not just here in Louisville? So we all know that gun violence is plaguing our community. It's a very serious topic. It's something that I know that we all feel very um, much a sense of urgency on. It's something that um, I've been listening to several podcasts recently, and it's the thing that we keep having to take a deep breath and like remind ourselves, like, how is this still happening? And the reality is, is that there's many different reasons why it's still occurring. And in Kentucky, obviously, um, we're very pro-gun ownership and go um, pro can still carry it if you own a gun. I'm a big supporter of universal background checks, um, additional trainings if you're gonna own a gun, working with our local law enforcement to make sure that we're getting guns off the street. All of those things are really important to me. I actually had a cousin who was killed in a domestic situa situation and also involved a gun with somebody who shouldn't have a gun. So I do think that these things really hit close to home for a lot of us and are very personal. And there's things that I look to the community to really come to me and see me as a safe haven of someone that you can come and talk to um, and be able to elevate those legislative changes that we need in Kentucky and why they're so important. So I hope that you all find me to be a champion in those causes. And you're listening to Forward Radio WFMP 106.5 FM. This is Election Connection with me, Ruth Newman, your host. Now we just finished hearing Rachel Rourke's Democratic candidate for Kentucky State Representative from District 38. The Republican candidate, Charles Breitenbach, was invited but did not show up at this event. And we've now come to the audience questioning part of this presentation. Thank you. Okay, this is now your all's chance. If you have a question, raise your hand. We'll call on you, state your name, and just try to speak loud. But this is an incredible opportunity to ask whatever you want to. Sir. Uh, my name is Jacob Clark. Uh, Rachel, I'd like to know uh, what uh, skills and our experiences have you had that feel like will enable you to work with, with disparate groups of people, you know, diverse groups of people, people that may have other interests and still manage to accomplish something. Thank you, David. So um, if I understand the question, what skills and experiences do I have to be able to work, work with all groups of people um, that, you know, maybe have different viewpoints than me, maybe come from a different background, um, maybe are underrepresented in government. So as a legislative aide um, in a council office, working with the local community, neighbors that live near me, neighbors that live in neighborhoods that don't look like mine, all of those things, um, it's very much important to remember that 
when someone come, approaches um, their, their representative, it's really important to listen, really important to hear what those concerns are, and you know, to really just, number one is to listen. Then I think it's really important to talk about what is already in existence that can be of assistance, who the partners that are already doing the work are, and then go from there. If there's things that are gaps in our community, then to be able to you know, find ways and coalitions to really bring people together for different reasons, why they care about an issue, and how are we gonna work to improve those things. So for me, I think it's like, it's like what my mom always said, which is you, know, you take one day at a time. I really look at our community as taking one person at a time, meeting, where, meeting them where they are. Sometimes that means that they don't, you know, when I go door, door to door, I try to take that approach. Um, helped a guy with a sinkhole the other day. He was like, oh, if you get elected, like, can you help me with a sinkhole? I was like, no, sir, that's very serious. We need to stop and address your sinkhole. <laughs> um, I also think that's really um, important for when we try to reach groups that we don't hear from because we all know that we have people that we don't hear from on a regular basis, that we're seeking them out, going to the places where they naturally are, and ask them what they think. Um, it's really important to get out of these silos that we've been in. Um, in the Kentucky State Legislature, we also know that we all have different viewpoints, and I think it's really important to hear from people why they think that the way that they do, listen, and then go from there, and work on the things that we can work on together, and maybe there's issues that we don't agree on, and I think it's okay to agree to disagree. And that's something that, whether you like me or not, I want you to be able to understand why I vote the way that I do, I want you to hear my justifications for things, and that's what I'm committed to is that transparency that if you, you should know why I'm doing what I'm doing, where I'm spending my time. And if you have feedback, you should be able to, um, to tell me that. Okay, who else has a, has a question? Yes, ma'am, what's your name? Paula. Paula. Uh, the state has a super majority of Republicans on the, uh, in the legislature. How do you plan to be effective knowing that the small percentage of Democrats with no voice per se uh, is there to get things done. So how do you think that you can effectively get things done with that supermajority? Thank you, Councilman McCraney. So um, this question with knowing that you know, there is a supermajority, how are Democrats, um, or myself in particular, how would I be able to be effective in Frankfurt? Um, I think I want to talk two parts. I want to talk about legislation, and I want to talk about community. So if elected, I will have been given an incredible platform to advocate for community. I already have, as just by putting myself out there to be a candidate. Be able to elevate the needs of South Louisville. So I guess I'll talk about community building first. I think this position in general, being able to pull partners together, being able to um, bridge those connections for South Louisville, I think is key in what we can accomplish regardless of the 30 or 60 days that we're in session in Frankfurt. So I think, like I said, I really care about the local community and I think there's things that we can elevate all year round. With that being said, you want your state representative to be focused on legislation, and I get that. So for me, like I said before, coalition building is really important, not seeing things as like, you know, we can either work together or we can't, to really find people who are working on the issues that neighbors care about, like healthcare, like wages, like job access, vacant property, um, affordable housing and access to mental health resources. These are things that we feel in our community and that people are want to work on. They are needs in their communities as, a, communities as well. And I think it's really important that as we're getting into a world where COVID has existed, where we have kind of 
been um, in positions where we couldn't have these interactions with people like we are tonight, to being able to get back to a place of really humanizing each other, having those difficult conversations, finding the people that I know you're passionate about healthcare. Here's what I'm passionate about. Here's the story that um, of someone who has been sexually assaulted, who has a different gender identity than me, and how they cannot, they feel scared to go receive healthcare because of this legislation that's on the books. Like being able to tell those stories at the very minimum is important to have that voice in the room to bring people into legislation that addresses those things. And I think it's our job, one, to voice what those needs are, to advocate for them, and hopefully with our coalition building are able for, to have people to be able to hear us. And I talk about that a lot. I don't wanna be put in a box to where people can't hear what I'm trying to say to them. So if that means that I gotta use a different terminology one day than I would in another audience, that's really important to be able to break down those, those barriers um, for things that sometimes we hear things and we're like, oh, like, tell me more, like, tell me why you said it that way. It's really important to learn how people need to be approached and what they care about and then, you know, go after things in that way. So I'm really passionate to get to work in the Kentucky State Legislature, especially on things like healthcare, especially like community-based waivers for our disability um, and aging population, because those are things that people all across Kentucky care about and relate to. Okay, I think we have time for one more question. Does anybody else have a burning question? <laughs> yes, ma'am, what's uh, your name? I'm not a constituent. That's okay. Eric, but does any, is there a constituent that might like to ask a question first? Well, I was real pleased to hear you say that you think it's very important to listen. But I also think it's very important for our legislators to ask questions, sure. to probe, and I mean, thank heavens that we uh, expanded Medicaid um, for the disadvantaged in our state, the low-income people, etc. But of course, that came under great threat um, with the legislature in the last session. They just wanted to cut and cut, and and people who were already working were being asked to jump through an awful lot of hoops. And I think there's still a lot of hoops. But the question I'd like you two to be asking is, these pharmacy benefit managers that operate behind the scenes in Medicaid, we need to find out why, the, I mean, those people are making mega profits, and the insurers as well. And so, although in this town we think insurers are fine, uh, right now there's a ton of profiteering going on. So what I'll say is, as a state representative, you're in between local government and you're in between federal government. And with that, access to data is very important. And what we regulate that you cannot get data on is also very key. So I think in the way of when we pass legislation, when we make calls up to our federal government or our local governments that we're able to not limit the flow of information and be able to ask the right questions to be able to also, you know, allow for studies to be done, to be able to fund program evaluations to see whether or not they have been successful and also give them a chance to thrive. But to learn those lessons, lessons and really document them um, is very important. Um, I tend to be a qualitative um, thinker rather than quantitative, but I do think that like knowing the numbers of where our needs are and what the problems are, are very important. For example, knowing like how many needed slots in community-based waivers we need. Do we know the true impact of how many people need the Michelle P. waiver? This is the Michelle P. waiver, or MPW, 
which is part of Kentucky's Medicaid waiver program and the MPW, Michelle P. Waiver, provides assistance to individuals with intellectual or developmental disabilities to help them live in the community as independently as possible. We know how many people come to our door and we have certain slots, but in the spirit of, you know, did you have a problem filling out the paperwork, the MAP-10, to get to that step? It, was it um, friendly to your language needs? Was it, were you able to know what your resources are to be able to have someone to help you navigate those processes? A lot of people, in the spirit of asking questions, you know, we need to have clear numbers as to what our needs are um, so that we're better able to address them or at least know the gaps that exist within the community in a clear way so that we know, you know, where we need to be putting more energy towards. And there's a lot of things that I think, you know, that would really apply to. Um, so I hope to come at it with that critical lens and I'd love to learn more about um, your concerns, especially with the pharmacies. Thank you. Okay, Ms. Rourke, wrap it up for us in about a minute and tell us <laughs> Okay, why should we be sending you to Frankfurt? I will also stay after to answer any questions. So I believe that you should send Rachel Rourke's me to Frankfurt because I have experience with local government. I know the needs of the community. I've been working with them for several years. I have even more territory to cover and more things to be learning from the community as well. And so doing that with an open mind to be able to go and advocate for our needs at the state level, I know it's going to be a hard fight. Uh, I need your support in that. And also to say that I think I'm the right person for the job, I'm the most experienced. I'm also the person that you know is gonna listen, is going to be accessible, transparent, and work this um, to the best of her ability. So for me, that's what um, I hope to be able to do. I hope to be able to bridge those connections for South Louisville, that's my motto. And for me, what that really means is you know, being able to pull those partners together, listen to the needs of not just my district, but the districts surrounding the entire community of Kentuckians and really break down those walls, get back to humanizing each other and work on the issues that we all know are so important. And I know that's going to take a lot of focus and energy and I'm willing to do it. So I hope that you'll vote for me on November 8th. Tell your friends. Um, but yeah, and of course my door is always open. So I have uh, my number for everyone if you need it. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. I'll stay after to answer any questions. I wanted to say thank you to the League of Women Voters because actually that was my first um, ever internship back in, I went to Holy Cross High School as a youngster and um, they you know, needed to be nonpartisan. And so I was like, I'm really interested in learning more about how does government work? And so I was actually assigned to the League of Women Voters with one of my uh, classmates. And I got to learn all about the work that the League does and the studies and the education, the public awareness, the voter registration, all things that are really important at a local level and obviously holding candidate forums like this to where you can really hear from um, everyone who's willing to um, you know, spread the message of what they'll do. So um, I wanna thank the League. I wanna thank everyone who came out tonight, everyone who's watching on streaming, Maureen, you've been a great moderator, um, but just really appreciate everyone's commitment to citizenship. Thank you. In closing, we want to thank all of our candidates. We thank you all, the committed citizens, for being here. Thank you to our volunteers and supporting organizations. Big thank you to WLKY for live streaming. We appreciate it. On the table are flyers for all the forums when you walk out. Note especially the Judicial <laughs> Candidates Forums on October 6th for all races except district court which were held um, this past September 22nd. 
Check our webpage and Facebook for information about viewing forums online. Just Google League of Women Voters of Louisville, scroll down to upcoming events, and click on View Schedule Here. Well, this is Ruth Newman. I'm the host of Election Connection, and I'm here today with Victoria Strange. And we're going to make a heartfelt attempt <laughs> to talk about the U.S. Representative for the 3rd Congressional District. And those candidates are Stuart Ray, the Republican, and Morgan McGarvey, the Democrat. And Ruth, remind me, uh, the race for the U.S. House for the 3rd Congressional District, why do we have a new, oh, I guess yes. we're familiar with a longtime representative. Yes, but. John Yarmouth. And he is leaving office, and so we have running for Yarmouth's seat. So, Stuart Ray and Morgan McGarvey for 3rd Congressional District. So, tell us a little about Stuart Ray. I'm not familiar with his positions. I have seen an ad uh -huh. on television recently, all women, I think, talking about how he's too extreme for some, Kentucky. He does have some extreme positions, and I, I must say, in my research, I had a difficult time, Project Vote Smart, Yes. You know, they're the national, and they usually have lots of information on all candidates, especially those running for national office. But for every single position that they asked questions about, they say here, despite exhaustive re research, VoteSmart was unable to find information about this candidate's position, which means he, he did not answer any of their questions. And when they tried to do independent research to see if they could come up with answers on their own, they couldn't find anything. Interesting. So, That's not necessarily a good sign. Isn't he a businessman of yes, some type? he is a businessman. So maybe this is his first run for political office, and that would mean he doesn't have a lot of right. uh, positions. But right. if you're running for office, you should certainly state your positions so that the public knows what they are. And right. VoteSmart is a great place. Right. I think it's VoteSmart.org is the website. Right. Um, and it's a great place to find out where candidates stand on the right. issues. And that's what we should be voting on, not on our gut instincts or just because they have a D or an R after their name. Exactly. So. Now, if you go to VoteSmart.org, you can either type in the candidate or office holder's name, or simply enter your address, and you will get a list of all those folks representing you, sitting on the courts and running for office at the national and state and sometimes local levels. Just select someone from that list, and you will most likely get lots of information that they've divided into six folders. The bio folder gives you background information, the votes folder gives their voting record. The positions folder tells you what issues they support, promote, or oppose. The ratings folder lists various business, consumer groups, conservative, liberal, and other advocacy organizations and how they rate this particular individual. It's simply a wealth of information you don't want to miss. Now the speeches folder provides any public statements that they've made and finally the funding folder gives their sources of funding. It's all very factual and oftentimes very revealing. 
It's a great way to find out about candidates. Vote411.org, which is run by the National League of Women Voters, also gives you information. It tells you how to register to vote and tells you who is on your ballot. So you will type in your address and you'll find all the various people on your ballot. The League sends out a questionnaire to these candidates and displays their answers if they did answer, that is, <laughs> which, as stated on their site, come directly from the candidate and are unedited by the League. The League is nonpartisan and does not support any candidates or parties. So, for example, if you selected District 30 Division 1 Kentucky District Court Judge, you would see biographical information on this candidate and you can read their responses to questions put to them. One reads, what should our courts do to ensure equitable application of the law? And then you can go ahead and read their response. So I highly recommend doing some homework on these candidates appearing on your ballot by going to votesmart.org and or vote411.org. Both are well-researched, nonpartisan sites that can help you be a well-informed voter. So let's now resume our discussion between Victoria Strange and me, Ruth Newman, on the two candidates for U.S. Representative in the 3rd Congressional District, and that is to replace John Yarmouth's seat. And we're now talking about Stuart Ray, the Republican candidate. Well, I'd love so to hear what his positions he, are, uh, although apparently yeah. he has very few. Well, I'll none. start out. Okay, so Stuart Ray graduated from Ballard High in 1980, and his work experience includes president of the Peregrine Company. It's a transportation. Oh, okay. It's a transportation company with a fleet of trucks that transports metals and other products. Oh, okay. Well, That's... there is also a Peregrine Falcon, which is spelled exactly oh, the okay. same way, so Did maybe I... he's talking about how fleet his trucks are, you know, how oh, swiftly yes. they get to their destination. That makes sense. <laughs> it's a cute, cute name. Title. It's a good name. Yes. So he joined the Steel Technologies in 1981. His career has included working in operations and sales, eventually to management, and he, he founded the Peregrine <laughs> Company. He was the first man, I'm reading off of something that he wrote about himself. He was the first man to chair the Mary Hurst, what's a 175-year-old agency founded by the Sisters of Good Shepherds taking care of abused women. He was appointed by Governor Steve Bashir to the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Commission Board, and he also served on the KFC Yum Center Board. So, um, and he's, he's the father of four daughters and one son. He did not finish college, from what I read. He went to the U of L for a couple of years. He must have dropped out. Yeah, he attended the U of L from 1980 to 1981. So, but he wanted to get into his own business. It sounds like, or start yes, his own business. Yes, and he was very successful at that. Yeah, that's good. He gets. A 92% rating from the National Rifle Association, so uh -huh. we know where he stands on gun control. <laughs> no gun control, no essentially. Gun control. His big thing is to cut spending. He feels that 
cutting spending will bring inflation in check. And, of course, that hasn't worked in the past. <laughs> he wants to stop passing spending bills and put more focus on enhancing and improving our community through economic opportunities for all citizens, which he says will stop crime by providing hopeful, good jobs and lifestyles. And I want to ask him how he proposes to do that without spending money. Right. See, that's the thing. When yeah. it comes down to the, the devil's in the details. The always. devil is always in the details. And I think you can rely on private, charitable organizations and the goodwill of people to a certain extent, but you cannot just witness things like the response to this awful hurricane that just hit Florida. Mm -hmm. You can't, there is no way that that yeah. can be addressed yeah. with yeah. just local funds or charitable groups. It's impossible. Yeah. And I the think federal government has to step in, and the state. Yeah. And his vantage as a businessman, he's got, I know how government regulations can burden business. We must prioritize Louisville businesses so our economy can grow and create jobs. That's the age-old refrain from the Republican Party. Yes. I mean, that has been their refrain for decades and decades. They hand out tax cuts right. to right. the wealthiest among us, and mm. they try to cut regulations, and they do, but some of those regulations are very good and should be kept in place. Mm -hmm. I get it. There are probably mm -hmm. some that are burdensome and maybe not necessary. But... Mm -hmm. There's always room, a little wiggle room there. Yeah. But altogether, cutting regulations, it doesn't allow, for one thing, a level playing field so that other people can be competing and small businesses can get started. If you cut regulations, you end up with monopolies. Yeah. And monopolies are very wasteful. And then if you're cutting regulations also in this era of climate change, because it seems like a lot of the types of regulations they like to cut mm -hmm. are, you know, probably have to do with tax reporting, but also they have to do with the business's impacts on the environment. Absolutely. You can't just allow waste products from an industry to pour directly into a river we used to mm -hmm. and we figured out that wasn't very smart so yeah and his point being he also says Louisville can can attract the relocation of great companies and it's time to go on the offense bring great new jobs well the problem with that I, as I see it is that it puts the states in competition with each other for attracting businesses and so they they end up cutting their nose to spite their face just so that they can get a business. They give them all kinds of perks and tax, tax breaks. breaks. And, and guess who has to make up for those taxes that they aren't collecting yeah, from that business? The middle class. Yeah. Yeah. And remember when the Amazon was going to develop this brand new mm -hmm. like central hub and all these states were competing for that? It was unbelievable, yeah, the amount. Yeah. And this is a company that is makes huge profits. Yeah. And they were just competing to give them, you know, every, well, we're going to outdo the state of Georgia. We're going to outdo the state of Kentucky. We're going to give them even more perks and more tax benefits. Yeah, and it just pits the states against each other to yeah. the detriment of everyone. It may provide some jobs, true, mm -hmm. but if you've, Given away, the, mm -hmm. you know, 
the store. Yeah, there are other methods, and the thing is, is that, you know, what we really need, it seems to me, is creating opportunities for people who live here to develop their own businesses, and that means better education, better childcare. Universal healthcare would help too, so the small business isn't burdened with paying. Yes. I mean, that that whole employer-funded health care for employees is very tough yeah. for small so businesses. There's just so many reasons that you can be growing small, homegrown businesses. And that's what the state of Minnesota is doing because I worked at an um, institute, part of the University of Minnesota in Duluth, that did just that and created thousands and thousands of jobs for people wow. by creating homegrown businesses. But it was government combined with yeah, private, public, private, uh, public sort of private partnerships, and that's what we need more. Just to explain a little of where I'm coming from, back in 1986 to 88, I worked for the Natural Resources Research Institute, which is an arm of the University of Minnesota. Its mission was to help create homegrown jobs in an environmentally friendly way. Its staff were PhDs and other experts in the fields of water resources, fisheries, wood products, minerals, and it had a business development group. Through various promotions and outreach efforts, they were able to link up with people from all walks of life throughout the state of Minnesota who had ideas for starting businesses. This was not just a business incubator. This was a full-fledged team of experts charged with reviewing people's ideas and if an idea looked promising, unleashing all their expertise and resources to develop it, starting with the business group, producing a business plan, proceeding to lab work, pilot projects, demonstration projects, and finally bringing it to fruition as a successful business. In this kind of public-private partnership, thousands of high-tech and high-paying jobs were created in the state of Minnesota from an idea that someone had and took to university professionals who could then take it every step of the way into a new, innovative, environmentally friendly, and successful business. So this, I must say, is much better, in my opinion, than trying to lure some big company away that will more than likely pay low wages and having no loyalty to your state might up and move somewhere else where they get even bigger tax breaks. And if you just tuned in, this is Election Connection on WFMP 106.5 FM with me, Ruth Newman, your host, and with Victoria Strange. We are discussing the two candidates for John Yarmouth's seat in the 3rd Congressional District for U.S. Representative, and we're starting with Stuart Ray, the Republican candidate. Does he have any positions on the hot-button issues of the day, like the um, access to abortion? Well, he's pro-life, anti-abortion. He um, is also anti-gun control. He says gun control is not an option. Enforce the laws, prosecute violent criminals, and, and do not look to pass, I guess, nonsensical redundant laws. Anyway, 
okay, I'm sorry, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like these guns and these horrifying military-style weapons, military-grade weapons, I guess you'd call them, yeah. are just proliferating. Yes. I mean, the gun, in, the gun manufacturing industry has just pushed these assault rifles, and they're the ones, I guess, that are being used in so many of these mass shootings. Why can't we limit that? Why can't we say, why can't we have a ban on assault rifles? We have one. Right, right. And, you know, I, I don't understand. Because it would dip into the profits of um, the gun industry. That's why. But our legislature shouldn't be protecting the gun industry over their constituents. Right. I'm sorry. Right. So. Let's see, I've got also who's funding him. The top industry is retired people and that was the same for McGarvey. Retired people was the most and so that wasn't categorized. Well, that's his number one contributor? Yes. Well what they listed was number two is um, finance, insurance, and real estate. Number three is other. Four, miscellaneous business. Five, construction. Six, real estate. Seven, insurance. Eight, general contractors. And it goes down. It's got lobbyists. It's got lawyers and yeah, lawyers, beer, wine, and liquor, automotive. So you see, we have all of these different special interests funding, and that's a whole other issue of mm -hmm. how to get money out of politics, so that we know where our candidates really stand, mm -hmm. and not you know whether they're just being somebody's puppet. All right. Let's see. Yes, he's pro-life. He's a Catholic. Oh, he's very much in favor of the Trump wall. He wants to finish the wall. He but said, he wants to cut spending? Yes. Except, okay, that's a little bit of a contradictory yes. stance, I would say, since the wall is and not to, going to do anything. To stop drugs, to, to stop... <laughs> to stop it's immigrants. It's going to stop de desperate people who yes. are fleeing. It is his priority to get Jefferson County Public Schools back on the right track through school choice, charter schools, improved okay. magnet so schools. So that means undermining public undermining education. public education, is, right. Public so, education has to take all comers, and these charter schools don't have to. They can pick mm -hmm. and choose, right. and so the, the result, I'm afraid, will be the public schools ending up with students whose parents can't afford another school, even with these mm -hmm. vouchers. I think charter schools also aren't held accountable in the They're way not. that public schools are. So you right. have this kind of un... Yes. What do you call that? Untransparent? <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word. Yeah. But there's no transparency. I see it as being very... I mean, it's fine if you have a... An you know, excellent charter if, school. If you've got a good Catholic charter school, what if you had a Muslim, <laughs> you know, I well, mean... Somehow probably that one wouldn't be allowed to exist. But. Right. Somehow they would ban that. They wouldn't fund that because they're only really interested in one religion. I know. So it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And they and like no. you say, Victoria, they are not um, well. They're not well accredited. They're not well monitored. They don't 
conform to, to national standards of education, they can pretty much get away with whatever. I know. I think there have been some studies, because charter schools have now been around long enough that they've been able mm -hmm. to do some studies, and that would be an interesting program. Yes. Because I think the, the um, bulk of the research points toward there being no real advantage to charter schools at all, and in fact, mm -hmm. a number of them are, you know, folded or just are, are yes. not good educational um, and are being sued forums. by yeah. former students and their parents <laughs> and and let's think about it you know public education is one of the things that to use a term from my not very favorite president made America great mm -hmm. public mm -hmm. education it right. created the incredible melting pot yes that we have today that would disappear I know if, if we had all You'd these wind little up with tribal public, schools yes and the, and the public schools having to take children who yes might all the, have all the rejects from yes. everybody else and not to say that they're rejects but they're mm -hmm. either probably desperately poor or they have learning disabilities or they have right. you know problems right you know, emotional problems emotional problems or you know and you're those people will be the bulk of the students right the public schools right. and so and now sure. i guess let's talk a little bit about morgan mcgarvey uh he's the democratic candidate for john yarmouth's seat yeah which is in the 3rd District uh, U.S. Congress. Yeah. So he also is a Louisville native. He earned a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism from the University of Missouri. He also has a law degree from the University of Kentucky. And he worked as an attorney with Morgan and Pottinger. He's got down on his list former Jungle Cruise captain for <laughs> this Disney World. <laughs> oh, that's probably what I think that's one of the rides. Yes. <laughs> when he did that. Oh, that must have been a fun job. <laughs> He's former legislative aide to Representative Ben Chandler in the United States House of Representatives, special assistant to the Office of the Attorney General. Commonwealth of Kentucky from 2008 to 2010, uh, and a litigation associate for Frost Brown Todd from 2007 to 2008. Um, I looked at his voting record because there's more of a record because he's already mm. held political office. In the Kentucky in House, the Kentucky right? Kentucky State Senate. Oh, Senate. Senate State right. Senate, yeah, which he assumed the office in December of 2012, and his term at Oh, his current term ends in January of 2025, so I guess he'll have to resign. Yeah. Well, he'd have to resign if he wins, right? Yes, he, he would have to resign if he, he won. Right. So, I've got a voting record from, from 2022. He voted no on a bill to increase requirements for access to food and medical assistance. But when it comes to giving anything giving benefits to poor people, mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. will put plenty of regulations in place, exactly. plenty of hoops for you to jump through. He voted no on reducing state income tax to 4%. I mean, these are the ones that, that were brought up in our state Senate. He voted no on requiring school boards to implement school resource officers. Oh, those are the people, people who are supposed to, 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 stop, to stop stop the bad guys with yes. the guns. He voted no on establishing public tax credits for charter schools. 
Unbelievable. <laughs> so that's public money yes, supporting support private schools. Exactly. Just let that sink in, folks. Yeah. How can that be right? To support any kind of religious school that... <laughs> and it also sort of not separation, it's sort it's of going separation. against separation of church and state. That's what I think, exactly. <laughs> he voted yes on prohibiting the execution of persons with serious mental illness. I'm surprised that that came up in 2022. I thought that was an issue that's long been resolved. Right. He voted no on prohibiting transgender girls from playing on female sports teams. There's a lot, a lot. He voted no on prohibiting abortions after 15-week gestation. He voted no on limiting topics of discussion in schools. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, it goes on. I'm not exactly sure why, but he voted yes on amending congressional district boundaries, but he voted no on amending state house district boundaries and on senatorial district boundaries, so who knows why. Also, Project Vote Smart didn't get answers from him either when they sent out a questionnaire, but they did their own research and they found stuff on his record on energy and the environment where he says he's invested time, sweat, and imagination in a long battle to expand renewable energy production in Kentucky. And um, he said that it is extremely disappointing to see Je Senator Joe Manchin announce that he will not support Build Back Better. He says in regard to gun control legislation, he says we cannot ignore our gun laws. At the very least, if the Kentucky General Assembly believes local control is good enough to determine how to keep our kids safe in school with masks, then surely they can support allowing local control on firearms. And he says, we desperately need common sense gun reform in Louisville, and the General Assembly should be willing to be part of the solution or get out of the way. So I agree he, with that 100%. Yeah. And he also, he got a 67% uh, rating from the National Rifle Association oh. because I think he's a little bit fuzzy on gun control. <laughs> but that was back in 2020. He feels that education should begin with the proper prenatal care and there should be a stable home with lots of interactions with the newborn. And he says public policy should help make it possible for every youngster to get that kind of a start. He's very interested in early year policies that support early childhood early education. Early childhood education, right. Like the universal pre-K they now have in, in uh, New yeah. York City. I mean, yes. I've seen that in my own family because yes. my daughter It's lives one there. thing when you're rich and you can do that for your own children, but, but people yes. that don't have that no. ability. And it's, it's wonderful because it really does seem to also, not just for the development of the child, but for working parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's great yeah. because at least you have, you know, they're in school. It does help working families out because right. you don't have to spend your life you know, your earnings on as much childcare. And since the United States is so, so, I think, so backward in terms of the support that we yeah. provide for mothers and young children and young families, it's just, yeah. it's so difficult. I mean, it is. And that, I think, in my opinion, is another reason why we have so many kids just going off the deep end, whether in depression or in violence 
because we don't start early enough no. in, in, in training them in the right, in, you know, yes. civilized ways of behaving. I know. And we don't also, we just don't provide the support for right. women who right. are pregnant, who are, you know, and in fact, we're taking more steps and more steps backward. Yeah. I mean, right. anyway, that's a whole different show. But the fact that women have to battle mm -hmm. uh, again. Yeah. to get control over their own reproductive rights is yeah. just astonishing to me. Yes. He also believes in prescriptive individualized learning and cutting-edge technology, which I think is pretty interesting, although he didn't go into any specifics, and in shoring up teacher pensions. And he says we need wraparound services for kids from difficult and deprived backgrounds, and I totally support that. Yeah. Because Meaning after-school programs, right, and right. I, I would think early childhood education would be crucial right. for that as well. And he says that this year's proposed campus budget cuts were draconian, and he says we must do better. I, so, I, I don't understand the point of all these cuts no. in education. I mean, that leads to to more spending down the road. Exactly. Because if you don't have well-educated young people who can, who are hireable yeah. and can be uh, tax-paying, yeah. job-holding citizens, then you've got a problem. Then you do have a problem. And that happens to, I mean, not just people who are considered bad people, no. which it, it happens to everybody. I mean, there have every time there is an economic downturn, there is a rise in crime. And, and so there is a correlation between being gainfully employed, being educated so that you can be gainfully employed, and crime. Exactly. So, exactly. And his funding sources, I went to to also and and the top one is retired people <laughs> then the, and and his funding is a lot more i must say than stuart ray he got a lot more money from lawyers that was the second category second well, largest he's an attorney funding. right yes he's <laughs> an attorney himself and then real estate then beer wine and liquor business services health professionals hospitals lobbyists. You see, these are the kinds of things that we have to really... Well, maybe some of the lobbyists are good lobbyists. Yeah. <laughs> there are so few of those that are lobbying for the yeah. actual public interest. And but a lot of lobbyists for various industries figure that they, they'll pay both sides just yeah. so that they're... So they got a foot in the door no matter door. who gets elected. And that's the problem with the way we run our elections oh, is that in order to be a viable candidate, you have to get money from these guys, yeah. and then you're beholden to them. Yeah. So maybe this would be an opportune time to get on another of my soapboxes, forgive me, <laughs> to bring up clean elections, a tried and true method of campaign funding that takes special interest money out of the equation, and it does not require a constitutional amendment, as does overturning Citizens United. And that's because it is voluntary. If you are a candidate who agrees to run on a clean elections banner, then here's what you must do. You must take contributions to your campaign only from people in your district. 
no one outside of your district, and you can take no more than a specified amount from each contributor, usually somewhere between $5 and $25. This is all overseen by a Citizens Clean Election Commission. It's a nonpartisan commission which enforces the finance rules. Now what this means is that you actually have to go to constituents in your district. You must talk to them. Fancy that! Once you have collected a certain threshold amount of money from these small dollar donations, then public funding kicks in. It may not give you as much money as your competitor, whose money is coming from special interests, but it allows your name to appear on the ballot as a clean elections candidate, and people in your district will know what that means. It means you are not beholden to any group of, say, Wall Street investors or pharmaceutical companies or big agribusiness or the insurance industry. It means you have received enough small-dollar support from a wide variety of folks across your district to be representing a large number of your constituents while running a decent campaign. And it has worked in many parts of Maine, Arizona, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in Baltimore, Maryland, in Austin, Texas, and elsewhere. So I encourage you to look up clean elections. A similar plan was introduced nationally in 2013 and I believe again in 2019 and it was called the Fair Elections Now Act and I think that John Yarmouth was one of its co-sponsors. But too many of our elected representatives are so used to feeding at the corporate trough it failed. Well that does it for this week's edition of Election Connection. In upcoming weeks, we will feature more candidates for public office and we will keep you updated on election information. Remember that voter registration ends Tuesday, October the 11th. So if you have moved or changed your name or if you will be 18 on or before November the 8th, that's the day of the midterm election, you can register online at GoVoteKY.com. Go there also to download a sample ballot so that you can preview what candidates and issues you will be voting on. Stay tuned for more programming in the public interest on WFMP 106.5 FM. And thank you for listening to Election, Election.